Okay, so we're in our, we're in our second um, major section now. So we, we finished uh, chapter 1 1 through 2 10, chosen for new birth, where we saw 1 1 um, through 1 12, joy in our living hope, and then 1 13 through 2 10, grace to live in holiness. Now, our second major section here is called to new behavior, which is going to be 2 11 all the way down through 3 22. And what we're going to look at right now is this, this first section that's going to be 2 11 through 3 7. So there's, again, two halves to this. We're going to talk about what it means to glorify God in our conduct. And he's going to give us four examples or four arenas in which we're going to be glorifying God in our conduct. We're going to, we're going to show Christian conduct as witnesses, Christian conduct as citizens, Christian conduct as slaves, and then Christian conduct as spouses. So those are four arenas of life that he's going to, um, to walk through here, that we're, we're going to journey with him as well. So let's start in this first one, Christian conduct as, as witnesses. Chapter 2, verses um, 11 and 12. Somebody read 11 and 12 for us here, please. So on your journey toward your heavenly home, toward that celestial city, toward the great Jerusalem, he says, beware. Beware because of the, the passions of the flesh. They will tempt you, right? There is a battle around us and there is a battle within us. On, on our journey home, there are passions that call. And His word to us here is to abstain from the passions of the flesh. The word abstain here means to be distant from, to stay away from. Not see how close you can get to it. Not flirt with it. Not cultivate it a little bit. I keep it around. But abstain from it. Be distant. Stay away because you've got to remember that in a temptation, Satan shows the bait, but he always hides the hook. He, he, shows you, he shows you the fruit, but he hides the price tag, right? And you've got to understand that these, these passions of the flesh, they wage war against your soul. One of the things we've got to be clear about is that what is going on right now around us? That right now we are at war. And not in the kind of war that we think of when we think of war most often, but Ephesians tells us not a battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, there is a spiritual war that is going on right now that you can't see, but very much affects everything. And sinful passions have one aim, to diminish your delight in God. To make you not trust Him as much. To make you not care as much about His pleasure and whether He's happy with what you're doing or not. 
to dampen your hope in Him, to dismiss His promises. And listen, this, is, this kind of spiritual warfare is strong. I had a guy one time who, um, he, was a com- he was a combat fighter. And he, um, he had not been faithful to his spouse, to his wife. And uh, he met with me and he, he knew he had to, to talk to her about it. And he said to me, he said, you know, Garrett, I've, I've flown over a thousand hours of combat missions with people shooting missiles at me. And he said, I've never had a panic attack. He said, but the thought of me sitting down and looking at my wife and confessing a sin to her, like, I think I'm going to die. <coughs> now, I don't know about you if you've ever been in that kind of situation before, but there's something about being in the dark that is so powerful that the thought of getting light on it is terrifying. So much so that you would rather die than it happen. And if you haven't experienced that, I just want you to know that that power is there. There is a a darkness in this world that is strong. And it, it calls to our flesh to engage. That's why it says here there is, it's waging war against your soul. It hates the idea of you delighting in God and trusting Him and following Him and not just throwing in the towel. He says, Beloved, I urge you, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So don't feed the flesh. When you feed it, it gets stronger. Put it to death. Abstain. Starve it to death. We obey God and resist sin because it honors God, but it's also good for us and it's good for those who are watching because people are watching. Look here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's not saying obey God to put on a show, but rather what? What's he saying? He's not saying put on a show, but what's he saying? Exactly. People are watching you. If they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. Especially right now. With all this talk about evangelicals, whatever that means. Like they want to know what one is. And when they they know you're one, they're going to watch. They want to see what's going on there. And you've got to know that Satan is always trying to get you and me and us to discredit God and His people in some way. To give the world just another reason to be like, ah, there go them Christians. There they go, doing their thing. Old faithful for him, for Satan, is to get them to sin in a way that non-Christians see it and think, ah, they're just a bunch of hypocrites and that Jesus stuff isn't real. That's old faithful for him. So I would just urge you, if you know that in your life as a Christian, 
that you've sinned and non-believers have seen it. And I'm, I'm not asking you to get neurotic about this. Like, we've all sinned in front of other people. But if, if you know you've said or done something and other non-Christians know about it, I would encourage you to pray and to resolve to go and to just tell them, hey, I just want you to know, I did this a couple weeks or months ago or yesterday. And I just want you to know that that's, I didn't represent Jesus well. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And they're going to think it's weird. But you need to let them know you didn't rep Jesus well. And that Jesus would do things differently. And you want to ask them to forgive you. God, God uses that. Don't, don't underestimate that power. He says, verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here, Peter again lifts our eyes to consider the return of Christ. This is the fourth of eight times that he does in the book. He says, they may slander you, but when they watch your lives, they're going to see that you're not actually the one who's doing evil. But they are. You see, God can actually use your good conduct as light to expose the darkness in other people's lives, which oftentimes why they get so mad at Christians, and they hate them, is because they feel exposed. They might not know that is what's going on. Now, that's not supposed to make us self-righteous strutting around be like, oh, y'all sinners, look at me guys together. Like, that's, that's not at all what he's talking about here. But he's talking about a life that is reserved for God. Where you step away from conversations that aren't honoring to Him. Where you don't go down paths that you know are going to dishonor Him. But that you're set apart and you love in such a way that it, it that they have no answer for it. And that God can actually use it to save their souls. It's a true story recently about um, a YWAM missionary, um, youth with a mission, um, who, who saw an, a former ISIS jihadi soldier who he, he, he confessed that he, he not only used to kill Christians, but he really enjoyed killing Christians. He, he enjoyed killing people, but he enjoyed killing Christians in particularly. He says, I actually enjoyed doing so. But then he began having dreams about these Christians who he was, who was killing. And he, he said, in this dream, a man in white would say to him, you are killing my people. And he said this dream would just keep happening over and over and over. And he said he would continue killing Christians, but that he would, he would begin to feel sick when he did it. And then he said there was one particular Christian that he was about to kill, and he said... The Christian said to him, I know you will kill me, but I want to give you my Bible. He said he took the man's Bible and then he killed him. He said, but he kept that Bible and he hid it. And he said he began to read it. And then he began to believe it. And he said that, he, he said that as he watched the Christians that they were killing, and he heard their words of prayer for him, and he saw their kind deeds, even to their captors. He said that over time, God used that to wear him down, and he got saved. Which means that on the day of visitation, when Jesus returns, he will stand next to people that he beheaded, and they together will sing 
the praise of the grace of God. Like that can happen. God does that stuff. And we don't always get to see how it turns out. Oftentimes we don't. Most times we don't. A lot of those Christians didn't. Brothers and sisters, our responsibility is to be repping Jesus in such a way when the world watches, it confuses them. And they may not like it and they might see it as something else, but to where the Holy Spirit then, as it were, has ammunition to work with and goes in and begins bringing people to mind. I had a conversation. Somebody called me. My birthday was this week, and somebody called me. Um, it was one of my old basketball coaches. And um, I remember playing basketball with him. I didn't know he was a Christian. I thought he was a Christian, but I thought I was a Christian too, but I wasn't at all. But I remember during basketball, whenever we would play, he would never cuss. Everybody else was cussing. And his thing was he would just say, it." That was his thing. He'd mess up. He'd say, it." Um, and I just remember, I thought that was the weirdest thing. And I remember asking him one time, why do you say that? Why don't you just, I mean, why don't you just drop the, and I just, I taught him some cuss words. And he, he, he said, he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, I try to honor God with my speech. And that was all he ever said. But you know what? That, when, I, when I became a Christian, some, what, four or five years later, and I, God helped me recall people who'd shared the gospel with me, I remembered his bad pump fakes, and his gummit on the basketball court. I remember that. Like, God used that as part of conviction for me that actually what you say matters. Because he was worshiping God. He was offering spiritual sacrifices, as it were, by trying to hold back his tongue. Um, and God used that. So just never know how God might indeed use your witness. One more section. And then we'll be done. <laughs> Christian conduct as citizens. Christian conduct as citizens. Somebody read for us verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors appointed by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. All the way down to uh, 17, please. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Good. I, I think in our current political climate this would be a good good few verses to meditate on for a moment. He says here in verse 13, be subject to every human institution, the government. This is the same kind of idea as Romans 13.1 where he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject here, it means to willingly place yourself under the authority of another. It's the same word for children to parents, wives to husbands, slaves to masters, church to elders, citizens to the government. It implies obedience here. You see, God has designed our world to run on authority and submission structures and systems. It reflects, it's intended to reflect our relationship with Him. Because God is the good authority. He uses authority rightly all the time. So, for instance, in our home, 
parents are intended to be instructing children about what good, good, loving, caring, intentional authority looks like so that children will know how to trust God. Every system's supposed to be like that. But we live in a broken world. But he says here, I want you to notice here that this is part of the, the purpose of government. Look at verse 14. These rulers, emperor, governor, are sent by Him, God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So what this means is that God established government as a system to protect the weak, to defend people, to execute justice on evildoers, and to celebrate good doers as incentive for moral behavior. Now, most of us are very aware that most governments in the history of the world are not doing this. We're aware of that. And God's aware of that as well. But this is still what he calls us to do. So let's, let's think a little more. The governments, what this means is that governments who oppress the righteous or who fail to execute justice on wrongdoers or who use their authority to oppress the weak or marginalized are actually sinning against God because they are rejecting the very purpose for which they exist. Now, God knows that, okay? But he says here, be subject for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, to every human institution, whether it be emperor, supreme, governor. So this is, this is not a misprint here. That we, we need to understand that. Jesus commanded his followers to pay taxes to an evil Government. So as bad as whatever government you might point to, including our own, Rome was, I mean, it was a brutal, you want to talk about, a, I mean, tyrant, oppressive, it was a bad, bad, bad government. And Jesus says, pay taxes to them. Pay taxes to the people who are going to put me to death. Paul commanded the church in Rome to submit to Caesar. Peter is doing the same here. Emperor or governors. That's really stunning because Emperor Nero, in about two years, is going to crucify him upside down. He's calling them to submit to a non-believer and a morally corrupted person. Think about what Jesus said to Pilate in John 19. Pilate said to him, you are, you're not going to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus and Peter both modeled for us what it looks like to submit to governing authorities to further the purposes of God. Why? Well, it says right here, for the Lord's sake. There's a theological reason here. God created them to further His purposes. So every government that exists in the history of the world, good and bad alike, are fulfilling a purpose that God has. And secondly, it's to to imitate Jesus Himself. Christians... Christians should be the best citizens that any country could have. 
Christians should be the best citizens that any country should have. It is a godly thing to honor the authorities that God establishes. Pause. I know you've got questions. Hang in. Verse 15. He tells you why. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So this is the same thing that he said just a moment ago. That over time, God will change people's hearts. You remember Jesus' executioner? You remember what he said after he killed him? Truly, this was the Son of God. He saw Jesus' response and he got converted. The peers. He says, follow Jesus' example in that way. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So yes, it's true that we're free from fearing man and what they might do to us. But he says, don't use that as a reason to slander and disobey and put yourselves above the law. Christians are are not free from the responsibility of being the best citizen that a country could want. God uses that for His glory, and He uses it to further His will. Now, are there times that Christians should disobey the government? Yes, there are. Christians always obey the government, except when they command you to sin. Okay? Christians always obey the government except when they command you to sin. So, I will take questions on this at the end. Don't worry. So, disobedience to the government must come prayerfully and with great trepidation. I'm going to give you two scenarios here. Okay? The first is this. Number one. If you're commanded to do something that God commands you not to do. If you're commanded by the government to do something that God commands you not to do, you disobey them. So, for instance, um, for me personally, if I was commanded by the government to perform um, a ceremony, a wedding ceremony, for someone that I felt in good conscience I couldn't perform that ceremony for, I would respectfully disagree and say no. And I would tell them so much so that I would say, you can have my license, you can put me in jail, you can cut off my head, I'm not going to do it. So there's, if they command you to do something that God commands you not to do, you don't do it. Um, For instance, to acknowledge a false god. So for instance, if there was a, a government, so for instance, our brothers and sisters where they're under Sharia law, or, um, or some, some lands with, with Hinduism, where you're, you are commanded by the government to worship Allah or to worship systems of, of, of Hinduism, you say no. You say, I will not do it. I will not bow that knee. A good example here is from Daniel 3. You should read Daniel if you haven't read it recently, especially the first half. Second half, wow. First half, <laughs> first half is amazing, okay? I mean, the second half is amazing just in a different way. But the really encouraging things to be thinking about in Daniel, okay? Listen to this from Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, 
When you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So there's a time to say that. And you can say it with respect, and you can say it kindly, but you say no. When they command you to do something that God commands you not to do, you say no. Now, I encourage you to make that decision prayerfully and in the context of community who fear and love God. Okay? Secondly, the second scenario. If you're forbidden to do something God commands you to do, if you're forbidden to do something by the government that God commands you to do, you disobey. So, for instance, right now in Russia, it is illegal to have any kind of religious conversation outside of church-sanctioned uh, meeting or state-sanctioned churches and meetings. You cannot say, follow Jesus to the baker, the butcher, or the candlestick maker, or they will lock you up. Or if you're not from there, they will send you home. Missionaries are getting punted left and right over there. It's illegal to evangelize. It's illegal to have a... This would be illegal right now in Russia. You disobey. Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they called them, the apostles, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we must speak of what we have heard and seen. He's like, you can deal with God on this. I'm I'm going to proclaim his name. Same thing in chapter 5. The religious leader said, We strictly charge you that you do not teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter... And the apostles, which is great, Peter's in both of these, he commands you to obey the government, but you see twice where he doesn't because of this. So there's, just note that. <laughs> so he's not talking out two sides of his mouth. There's just times when you say no, right? So, but the Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they, de- then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So Christians always obey the government, except when they command you to sin. Now, every government's different. In our government, we, are, we have permission to, to gather peaceably and to make, make it known when we disagree with the decisions that the government makes. People are free to do that. And that's part of part of being in a democracy. So that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's part of something we can do. But I want to say that the way Christians do that should look different than the world. It should always look different than the world. The way that we speak, the way that we relate, the way that we honor and carry ourselves, the things that we say, the things we promise, the things we don't say and don't promise, it should be guided and guarded by the gospel. 
I just think that takes a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom. And Lord, help us. Um, But my prayer for us is that in the days ahead, that what would mark our country is that the media and governing authorities would say, you know what, those Christians are crazy. Crazy. But they're amazing. I mean, like, if there's anybody who loves their enemy, it's Christians. I mean, have you been around one of them? Like, it's weird. They must, they're like otherworldly. That's what should mark us. Not, not people who are captured by fear. There's things to be afraid of in this life, and that is certainly true. But the hope of the gospel does guard us. I'm not trying to over, oversimplify but I think we should be very wise and prayerful and discerning in the way that we, we approach governing authorities. Um, gosh, we need help. Lord, help us. I'm happy to take a couple questions on either of these two things that we just talked about, and this will be the last thing we do for the evening. <laughs> yes, Connie. Um, um, I would just say that our government is different in just from the context of by the providence of God, He gave us self-government. Every other government is not a self-government. I don't care if you're even a democracy. Ours is a democratic republic that was given to us by the hand of God. And I just I just think that that's a special, you know, that people have a special input into it and a special responsibility to make sure that it reflects him. Yeah, so I, I do think that's true. At the same time, acknowledging that there's, there's, there's good leaders and bad leaders that... that not everybody agrees with on, on all of that throughout the history of, of our country. So, That's why I said honor him. Yeah. Supposed to. yeah we, we, we aim to honor the Lord in, in whoever's in the four-year term. So, mm-hmm. Questions, yeah. Could you just maybe share just what we could think about the, um, the fact that it's the will of God I think that's a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. There's no king, president, prince, queen, governor, mayor, police chief, whatever, who's not put in the place that they're in apart from the hand of God mm-hmm. for a purpose. So there, there were Christians who God was exposing things over the last eight years. And there's, there's things that God's exposing in Christians in these next four years. And there's things that he's carrying out in the world and in history and in lives. And we just don't know what that is. But what we do know, so Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us and our sons we are to obey. 
So what we know is how we should act in the midst of it. We don't know what God's doing. I sure don't know what God's doing um, on a lot of things. But, but I am sure of this, that he knows what he's doing. And all I know is that there's a way that he calls me to act so that whatever backdrop it may be, whatever the, the stage is, right? So whenever they said that we're going to videotape this, John said, oh, we've got a, we could put a green screen behind you and you can put anything you want. I'm like, I don't want no green. Everybody bugging out the whole time. I was like, no, I don't want uh, But like whatever, God has a green screen behind history and he just puts different things on there all the time that are, he knows what he's doing, that, that reveal different things in the hearts of people. And what he's saying here is that Christian, what you've got to know is that whether it's Pilate or whether it's, you know, JFK or whether it's, George W., or whether it's Barack Obama, or whether it's Donald Trump, or whether it's whomever, your job is to trust me and to show the world something different, to be markedly different. And that's difficult, but it's, he, he uses it to silence foolishness that's raised up against him, to where Christians are just different than everybody else around them in the way that they agree or disagree and the way that they they seek to honor him no matter what. So I'm not sure if that helps or not, but that's that's kind of the way that I like to think about it. It was. It just gave me <laughs> just gave me an opportunity to to preach a little bit. Yes, ma'am. So there's about a bazillion interpretations of what the mark of the beast might be, but certainly, whatever that mark of the beast is, we, we always want to be avoiding that, and I think there's, there's marks now of what that would look like, and yeah, so that's, yeah, there's literally 10,000 interpretations of what that could be, but, but I think, yeah, so that, that, would be, that would be good. Any other questions? They've got to, I don't believe you. Like, I think you actually have questions and you don't want to ask them, and I think it's okay to ask them. Come on, it's late. I require two more questions, and then I'm going to let everybody go. All right? Yes, sir. Give me your name again. Andrew. Andrew, yes, sir. Um, so I think that one thing I struggle with, not when you're considering this passage, is that uh, in the time period, from my understanding of Roman government at the time, there wasn't room for participation in government. So to be you know, obedient to government was simply that, to be here in American government, you know, to be a responsible citizen <coughs> is to be informed and to participate. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that uh, I wonder about that now. You know, in obeying this, you know, now I have to participate, which means I have to decide on who I think should should govern, and then I have to decide on which matters I think are most important, and not just in presidential, you know, but in every election where I can participate. You know, so whether that's state representative. And that points towards a certain level of participation that we don't see, you know, most Americans, you know. And so I think that uh, in trying to understand how to be responsible about that, um, I guess I just kind of wonder, what would Jesus do? (laughs) 
if you know, let me know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I feel that, you know. But, but, but one of the, so here would be one thing that I feel like the Lord's helped me in over the past number of years is the more that I'm around other Christians, Christians who look like me or don't look like me, think like me or don't think like me, I've found that I've been, I think, more, more well-rounded in my thinking as a disciple on, on all sorts of different values um, that I think this form of government, by God's grace, has actually pushed me, because I do have participation, it's pushed me to consider um, what, what kinds of issues should a Christian be thinking about. So I've, I'm no longer just a one-issue voter you know, in the way that I've thought about things. I feel like there's, there's a number of things that as a Christian I need to take into consideration when I'm casting a ballot or when I'm thinking about things. So I'm not sure exactly what Jesus would do. I really would have loved an email from Jesus on this, but <laughs> I, I didn't get one. But what I do feel is that Jesus gives us his people. And, there's, and this is where I think that the church, whether things go the way we think they should go or not go, we, we need to be very careful about one another and the way that we think about one another and talk about one another in these days. And, and, and I think that through that, there's conversations that we can have about how, you know, I mean, I'll just say it. So, you know, so some people assume that because I look like I look that I voted a certain way. And I think the conversations that come out of like, tell me what kind of assumptions you might have about me. And let me tell you what assumptions I might have about you. And let's just pray about this and talk this thing out. That combo that comes out of that, this government system, it forces us in our discipleship of one another to grow and to think to where we, we might not. Like DJ and I, we talk about stuff all the time. And, I mean, about a month ago, he stopped me somewhere. He's like, you know, G, I don't know that we're ever going to agree. He goes, but I really appreciate our conversations because I think we listen to each other. And he said, I love you more because of it. And I love him more because of it. So I think that in, our, in this arena of this particular political system, it forces disciples to press in with one another and hear things in a way that I think helps us to be more well-rounded. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I would just encourage that more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I think part of my question in addition to that is also like level of involvement in this thing. Yeah. Again, you know, we're not just talking about presidential elections. We're, you know, we're talking about everywhere we It, it can become consuming to where I, th- I think, I don't know what the exact right answer is. I think part of that can be determined in individual discipling relationships. Some people think about it way too much, and other people should probably think about it a little more. And I think everybody's in a different place on that. And it's a, I don't know you well enough to say whether I think you're too involved or not involved enough, but I think that's part of what a good, healthy relationship with other believers would, would do. So it's a good, good word. All right, I got one more question. What is it? Somebody. Come on. All right. Yes, Jess. How far, I guess my question is, like, where do you draw the line on what is considered, like, commands that we're given that we're not supposed to break and how much that's in our control or not? So it's easy to say, like, oh, he's telling me to bow down to a statue. I'm not going to bow down to a statue. Yep. But then there's things where it's like, okay, well, my tax money is being used for things that I fundamentally believe in. 
That for me is easier because Jesus said, pay your taxes to Caesar, and he was a, he was a nasty dude. So I'm, I'm assuming that that means give to Caesar with Caesar's, but make sure you're giving to God what's God's. So I, I think tax money, stuff like that, I'm just glad Jesus got that in the Bible because there would be a whole lot of fighting going on <laughs> if not. Like if, that, if Jesus hadn't kept that in the Bible, we'd be in a mess. I promise you that would be all the time, right? Um, so I, 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 th- I think that's true, you know. Um, I think it's kind of a case-by-case basis. It really is. So I think right now, yeah. Can I try yeah. to offer some scripture on that? Okay, please, yeah. I'm going to try. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and free the widow of color. And I don't give that as like a, a social justice sort of like banner. These are all the things that we must fight for and you know go forward, Christian soldier, and take them out all our defense kind of thing. But I think given the context of what we talked about tonight, which is within the structures that God has set in place, taking God's word and places like this and knowing what we know God's heart passionate about, how do we within those ordained means, meaning within the structures that God has set in place for us to operate within, still be salt and light and be not a lamp under a basket, under a table, but continue to shine with truth, to correct oppression, to do justice, to learn to do good in this society where God has placed us? How do we shine where he has put us? Right? We're not meant to be under a table or hidden. We're meant to be to be light to the world. So in this society, if it's in China with all of its restrictions, what does it mean to shine, to love what is close to God's heart and not compromise on that? And yet, at the same time, to walk that fine line. I think we're meant to feel that tension of what does it mean? We're meant to feel that tension. Because there is no, like G's saying, there is no clear answer. We're meant to always be asking ourselves and depending on when we are put on trial for God to give us those words that we're supposed to use in our defense in that moment. But, yeah, it's like a constant understanding of, like, does this, is this something close to God's heart? Am I protecting, like, defenseless here? Am I am I actually pleading the cause of justice? And what do I believe that says about God? Or am I doing this because it's something that I'm just personally passionate about? I feel like those are the questions that we as believers are meant to constantly be wrestling with. Mm-hmm. Um as we learn more about what is close to God's heart in, in the scriptures. Yeah. I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think that's a great word. That, you know, when the world looks and sees the church, they should be like, now those are people who know about justice. Those are people who know about compassion for the weak and the outcast. Mm-hmm. Those are, wow. You know? So, I mean, that's what, like, so in India, that's one of the, I mean, when they see caste systems thrown out and they see, Upper caste and lower caste I mean, getting together and eating, and I mean that's they're like, what is that? And I think in the same way, those types of things must mark God's people. Exactly how that weaves into every policy and everything. There's a lot of discussion on that, and that's where I think doing that in the context of of community is really important. Thank you all for your time. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Lord willing, we'll see you here in a couple minutes tomorrow. Oh, no, eight thirty in the morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for your word, and God, we pray that you would, um, 
would help us that though we do not now see him, that we love him, that we would love the Lord Jesus, and that we would long for that day of visitation to come in which grace will be revealed. Oh, Father, would you send him soon? Between now and then, Father, would you help us to be a holy people, set apart, pleasing to you, offering up spiritual sacrifices as a pleasing aroma to you. Would you help us to live in such a way as witnesses and as citizens that we are clearly set apart unto Jesus and that people would be confused and convicted and that you would convert them. And God, that we would see many, many in this area come to know you because of the witness of your people. Lord, would you show your glory? Give us help. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.